A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. This podcast is brought to you by the supporters of patreon.com forward slash Dan Lissac. And if you enjoy this podcast, you should consider becoming a supporter of patreon.com forward slash Dan Lissac. This will not be the last time you hear the phrase patreon.com forward slash Dan Lissac in this podcast. Enjoy! Hello there. How are you doing? Episode 25 of Falling Forward with Dan Lissac. That, that's me. That's this voice. I'm a bit stuffy, a bit out of sorts today, so this might be a bit more of a low-energy kind of intro. They're all kind of rambly, low-energy affairs, but you know what I mean. Also, Popper Sack uh, has had another stroke, which is which is bad. Strokes are bad. I don't know if you know, guys. But I'm not telling you this for some sort of internet sympathy. I'm telling you this because you should find your parents. I've been doing it more. Actually, the podcast has been helping me. I've, like, seen my parents more when I've been going to, like, Margate or Essex or wherever, which is their ends. I know Margate's not in Essex. I'm not not stupid. Don't judge me. Um, But, yeah, when I've been going to their ends. So, uh... It's been nice to see them a little more. So you should too. Phone your parents. Um, it's very preachy. That's that's my preach for the day. I know we've got an election and shit coming up, but you should phone your parents. But yeah, he's fine, apparently. He's on the mend, which is my mum's uh, code for he's in hospital. But you know, she's that generation. Oh, he lost both his legs. Oh, yeah, but he's on his on the mend, isn't he? He's on the mend. Um, so what have you been doing? Have you been doing anything exciting? I know you can't respond to this, but you can tweet your responses to me to tell me how you've been doing and such. I, in, actually, in good news, in better news, let me have a little sip of my coffee. Mmm. Ah, instant. Um... In, in brighter news, I released an EP 
If you've uh, been following me on Instagram or if you're one of my Patreons, you probably uh, heard some selected ambient twerks, as I call them, works in progress and such. Well, I finally actually finished the EP and put it out. It's on a band camp. My name's Dan Lassac, you know that bit. But the EP is called The Death of Me, which is pretty apt because it's kind of me trying to put behind past glories and move on to the bright future of wonky ambient. I'm definitely stuffed up. I'm definitely bungy today. Anyway, go get it. It's good. It's like four quid and it's probably the best music you'll ever hear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, modesty, they call that. So, this week's guest is Lone Lady, aka Julie Campbell. She's a musician. What, what else do you need to know? What, do you want more information than that? I've listened to her since probably a couple of years after her first album came out. I think I heard something off Nerve Up on Six Music. Because it's very good, is Six Music don't know if you know and I've just been into her ever since I like the angles spikiness of the way she plays guitar and I just enjoy her I enjoy the things she creates so it was a delight for me to get up there to that Manchester and and have a chat with her it's actually kind of nice for me because uh she's supported New Order a couple of times so I got to yabber on about New Order for a bit And as you all know, Joy Division are my favourite band of all time. Um, Alright, New Order are alright, like, you know what I mean, they're they're (laughs) alright. But yeah, no, genuinely, like, the first music I loved was Joy Division, New Order, Durity Column, A Certain Ratio, and they're all from that uh, Factory Records era. And I think in some way, maybe not directly, but... Lone Lady channels some of that into her music. Maybe that's just me imposing that on her. Because we do that. We hear things in things that aren't actually there. But we just want them to be there. But yeah, we had a delightful chat. We got to talk about working with Warp Records. We got to talk about how she got a synth off Eno. Or or Bry. Bry Bry-E. I got to talk about that artistic development that musicians go through as they grow in size, as they have to fill bigger stages and things like that. So for me, it was a lovely chat. And uh, for once, we don't get bogged down in politics, which is good. It felt so nice not to get bogged down in politics for once. Anyway, check her out on Twitter, Lone Lady HQ. Uh, her albums to listen to are Nerve Up and Hinterland. And her breakaway hit, as she describes it, is Groove It Out. Wow, I sounded like a like professional radio man then. I think I think the cold medicines just kicked in. I'm on the good stuff. I'm on some that I brought home from America. So it's like guns for your sinuses. What am I talking about? Anyway, uh, this apologies for the ramble. I hope you enjoy this chat gonna do the advert thing and then you can listen to me and lone lady having a delightful discussion up in the manchesters enjoy the music on this podcast can be found at danlasac.com 
www.bandcamp.com And if you were to purchase some of the ambient twerks or triple bangers from danlasac.bandcamp.com you'd be directly supporting this podcast. However, if you prefer Danlasac apparel to cover your shame while supporting the show, go to danisgreat.co.uk for all your t-shirt and beanie needs. Enjoy! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I notice about you. Did I? Oh, let's, let's hope. Rich, buddy. You it's should nice be the next that it's page. A, a real notepad. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, this pad has been carried around. Like, do you know you buy pads? I've got loads of them, all, all half. Full, this is empty. a half full one. Yeah. This is a half full pad. Look, there's some settings for a synthesizer, yeah. but I don't know what synthesizer that was. Mine are so random. Not a clue what that's. Mine, mine, was mine will be. Mine are a mix of like, yeah, sort of technical wranglings. Might be like the odd diary entry. Yeah. Or some sort of you know stream of consciousness. Uh, so, oh, then there might even be some random phone number or recipe in there or something. It's just, <laughs> so, so you know. Well, I've got like mix. notes for like mixes and stuff. Fox up, drums, squash? Question mark. Like I love books like that though. But at the time, I, I think they're really evocative of you know a process, you know, a creative process, and I, I love love to. I think that's the most. That's the what I gravitate towards in a in I an quite, exhibition or something. I'll I'll love to. I'd love to rifle through other artists' notebooks. You know? I quite like forgetting though what it meant at the time. Yeah. Like where your language has changed, or you know a more specific term for something. I mean, I just stopped. I start. I, I did sort of start writing settings down for things, but I never went back to them. So I just stopped doing that. <laughs> you know? 
Yeah, the writing down of settings. I, I used to, as a, as a kid, have um, uh, an SH-101, like a old yeah. Roland. And you could print out little blank sheets and draw in oh, where that. you put the knob. Do I like sort of like play school or Sesame Street yeah. type uh, diagrams well, or something? Pretty I'd much. Like, I'd like to do that. But after a while, you just never... You don't, you don't need them, do you? Because, yeah. I mean, I just thought, found that... You just I just use my ears every mm. time and it's just a new thing each time. So Yeah, a painter once they've worked out yeah. how to make a colour can yeah. make that colour again. Yeah, exactly. I can never get back to it. I, oh, that sound. How did I? What did I? What? I think I as well, I just, it's about sort of trusting your ability to find a good sound again. Mm. It doesn't even have to be the right sound. No. It could be any sound. Yeah. It's what presets are for. <laughs> Launching off points, obviously. <laughs> obviously. So... Who are you? Who am I? I'm Lone Lady. Done. Yeah. We're out. That's We're it. Out. That's the That's podcast. Yeah. I, I just get people to introduce themselves, <laughs> give no information, and then like, yeah. I leave. It's a very well, short podcast. I, do, I like brevity. It's good. <laughs> Damn, because some of these go on for like two hours. Um, hopefully, hopefully I won't keep you too long today. Um Something came up, actually, when we were arranging this, you said about no one ever wants to come to you. Do you find that the music industry is still ridiculously London-centric. I mean, well, it is. And I thought, yeah, I was I was surprised at my own reaction to your email. <laughs> I was like, I was genuinely mm. amazed that you were just like, no worries, I'll come up to you. Because just... hardly anyone ever says that. And I get it, though. I mean, it's sort of pretty time inefficient for someone from a label or whatever to come all the way up. You, you know. say that though, but like if if say I don't know, you, are you still signed to Warp now? Yeah. Yeah. So if someone from Warp was wanted to hear new band, they were going to sign for ten years, fifteen mm. years. Mm. You know what? Taking a three four hour journey to Manchester to see that band yeah. perform isn't that big an ask. No, I mean they obviously did it for, at first, you know, mm. to meet me and all that stuff, and p- people do come up, but yeah, generally I, it is me going to London and. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wish I wish it weren't the case that it, it was a, everything was, you know, it was a big conglomeration of all mm. the sort of, the, the, you know, the action. I wish it wasn't all down there. And yeah. I, I mean, I really love London. I just spent, you know, two years there and uh, was really sort of sad to leave. But Where were you roughly? Well, I, I was, I'd, I'd been invited to be part of Somerset House Studios, which okay. is a sort of, a, yeah, relatively new like subsidised studio space in the sort of mm. in one of the disused wings of Somerset House, which is this massive huge. listed building in London. Um, yeah, and that that was really amazing, and to to be sort of able to have a studio in in London, mm. um, and I you know I got Arts Council funding to help me get down there and everything. So it's a big it's a big operation, you know, yeah. to get down there. Um, but I, I just, just the sheer sort of, you know, the proximity to all that stuff going on. The, you know, I'm I'm a huge fan of going to galleries, so mm. I, I would be more likely to go to galleries. Because you know. you've got a fine art degree. Yeah, right? yeah. So I did, I did fine art here at MMU. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, so for me to be in London, you know, amongst just so much, so much stuff. All the, all the galleries and so many places you can walk, and you know, book readings and just endless cool things happening. Sometimes, 
several things happening on the same night and it, just it, the sheer volume of it is it is amazing you know turn the corner oh what's this thing yeah um the synth company novation have opened a shop like kind of near bethnal green yeah but it's not really a shop like there's a couple of tables with their stuff on but the whole like 80 percent of the shop is They've got loads of computers set up with Ableton yeah. and they're using it as like a teaching space. And yeah, okay, they're using their launch pads or whatever. Yeah. But, but you could just go in and try it, try it out. Yeah, and, yeah. but it was, it was kind of interesting because they're doing like workshops. They've got like a mental health workshop coming yeah. up and all this. And it was like, this brand don't need to be doing this. And I don't think there's probably another place in the country they could do it and have it full. Right. But... Yeah, it's amazing that it can exist, but it's also a shame that we do neglect. Like, you look at Manchester, you look at Sheffield, you look at Leeds, um, and they're like fertile ground. There's yeah, so I mean, it's, it's it's absolutely not an issue of talent. It's it's an issue of sort of proximity to opportunity. Yeah. And in London, you are undoubtedly have that close proximity you, you, you're right able there. to tap in to yeah. so many opportunities and meet people face to face which makes such a big difference when you're stuck up in the north emailing people trying to get your foot in the door mm. I did that for years you know and sort of coming back here it's I don't want to say it yeah I mean it, I feel like everything got a lot quieter suddenly you know <laughs> it's like oh you know yeah um, so yeah, I just I don't know how we reverse that though because it's also tied up with you know the government and yeah the, well, the sort of inequalities north south and just not feel, there's obviously a lot of poverty in pockets of the south but it's, it's a big it's, it's a it's a deep entrenched problem really. I've lived in the south all my life, so I, the poverty in the south seems far more pockety. Yeah. You feel like you stumble into a poor Well, it's era. mad the whole sort of Grenfell close yeah. right next to, you know, Westminster. The, what is it? The Chelsea and... What's uh, the borough? It's the most... It Kensington? Yeah, it's the most um, wealthy borough yeah. slap bang right up against the borough that Grenfell is in. So and I feel it's... like, I might be misquoting here, but I feel like the cladding that is the mm. cause of... Um, what well, the non-fireproof cladding was put on... Yeah as a way to make the building look nicer for the people who lived around it, not for yeah, the people oh, yeah, who lived in yeah. it. Which is it's appalling, ridiculous. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. we we there were some modifications made to this tower block as a result of Grenfell. What sort of thing? Um, there used to be a void space in the front of the tower block, which in the event of a fire would have functioned like a sort of chimney flue. So it would have okay. very helpfully spread the flames around the Just front of the building, the building a lot more efficiently. So that has apparently now been uh, modified and is hopefully touch wood safer. But I mean, th- through that horrendous, you know, disaster, I sort of learned a lot about my own tower block. We all mm. we all got very interested all of very a sudden in, in and you know we were just shocked to learn that there weren't. Like this tower block still doesn't have any sprinklers in the communal spaces and mm. things like that. So it's a, it was really it was a real wake up call, you know. Yeah, like tower blocks make a load of sense in cities. To to, I know we call them flats, but to like reach up and touch the sky, use that space above our heads for people to live. But at the same time, if we're going to do that, we have to 
be considerate that they need to be safe and they need to need to be big enough and I, I don't know I'm I'm a bit I'm not I I've lived in this one for quite a long time so I've got this real sort of love hate relationship with it at the mm. moment um, I mean I it's too small to house a studio and yet I have I did I wrote most of hinterland in here uh, and it kind of drove me mad because you're just sort of waking waking up and, and then stumbling straight into and, yeah I mean my sort of the desk was literally next to the bed so you you sit up and that's you're there so you know you're mixing desk as such. Yeah, yeah yeah just the sort of control center and oh. everything is there and you're sort of functioning in this tiny little square you mm. know and it's it's very difficult and and it like because you you took around what five years between albums well i <laughs> i always like to sort of qualify that really because it doesn't take me anywhere near five years to write the material for a mm. new album it's just for example hinterland came out in 2015 i was still gigging in 2016 yeah you know and then it took several months to make the move from here to somerset house studios then I set up a whole new studio, acquired a bunch of new machines, learnt how to use them. And then when, of course, the material is ready, it, you know, yeah, it takes labor. a long time for the, the sort of strategy to, to, to build up, to mm. put, put it out. So there are all these, there are the, these things either side of writing a record mm. that add on, add on, you know, onto the time. But then when, when it comes out, People don't quite see that. They just think, oh, she took five years five again to out. It's Whoa. like, no, I didn't. I took, yeah. I took two years, but it's all the other stuff. And there's, there's the same thing again with this record. Mm. Hinterland came out 2015. The, the new material is, um, it is essentially finished, but it's, you know, there's, can... there's a still, there's a, you know, there's a build up to when it will be released and that will take time. But I can imagine waking up with, with, the thing you're meant to be doing staring you in the face. Oh, yeah, it's horrendous. With that desk yeah. nagging at you. Yeah, You've yeah. got to get this done. Yeah. You know. I mean, I, you know, because I, I, it's it's strange, I was sort of thinking about this. I, I work alone, but I make the kind of music, in a way, you, you could say that sounds like a, a band makes it, like a sort of four-piece post-punk yeah. band scratching away in a mill building somewhere, and it's like... So it's not, it's just me, but I play, I'm I'm like four members of mm. my own band. So, I, yeah, it's, um, I've kind of gone off tangent then. This is what you meant to do. I know, This yeah. is how conversations I can't remember what work. my point was, what I was getting to, though. So, I, yeah, I work on my own. So I'm sort of sat in a room on my own for a lot of time, and it feels like years. It's like, God, have I, have I been sat in a room on my own for, like, how many years and so albums do sort of completely consume me really mm. and they do and they can become a bit tyrannical you know like they just block everything else out yeah you know so so it does it consumes me completely and do you get the impatience like you when you finish like this oh, one yeah. song and yeah. it's like well we could just put that on there that could just be in the world i mean i'm on my next album in my head already and i've in my own head i've got that on and I've got three EPs there as well so I'm always you know I think a lot of people are, are ahead aren't they yeah but I mean that's the off you know the the, the trade-off between you know I, I love having albums out on Warp that's amazing mm. you know I wish I could somehow function better to get more music out and I think after this album I might try to sort of think about my process and shake that up a bit and see how I can you know, get more music out into the world in a different way. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what that is. I just, I just 
I've got so many, so much music kind of. Before we hit record, up. we were sort of talking a little bit about algorithms and Spotify and yeah. stuff, and quicker releases mm. do seem to make a lot more sense in in like the modern marketing um, streaming environment. You know, being able to get a hit playlists and all that regularly seems to be a way to actually survive and sustain yourself and and because people seem people are really easily distracted i don't think people have short attention spans yeah i just think they've got a lot to pay attention to yeah they do and i i'm glad i didn't you know grow up with spotify i think you mm. know i i don't really want to pander to that though you know i i i, I have faith in the album mm. i think there's something really interesting in presenting a body of work to people to really get their teeth stuck into and I think people still value albums yeah. as a body of work to talk about, you know, and, and sort of treasure or um but you know, I maybe EPs are more of a you know slightly less tyrannical format, you yeah. know, and maybe Maybe also, maybe a series of EPs. I, I've been wanting to do a series of themed EPs for like years. You know, mm. So I've um, literally myself just just finished an EP that's very different to what I have done before. And um, if any, the few people that have heard it have all received it as one track. So it's yeah. one twenty-two minute track. Oh yeah, and it's clear it's five tracks. You could yeah. easily slice it up. But I'm trying to work out. It's like I might avoid putting it on Spotify for a while. Yeah. Just so I can put it in the world as this one track mm. first and it, it not make Spotify grumpy or It's whatever. weird. You have, to, you have to be a kind of tech, you know, you know, you have to be really tech savvy as mm. well, as well as, a, as everything else now. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm not, I mean, I, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm not sort of clued up with that that well, as much as perhaps I could be but then on the other hand I sort of resent having to be you know yeah like <laughs> and I never set out to be you know examining the algorithms that's not what I set out to do you know if you were in a band in 1985 you didn't need to know how the um buying system of HMV works no exactly it's, you know? it's awful isn't it like what, to I'm, be like you know so music biz savvy you know the weird thing is there is something good in that democratization like not you know uh not having to have a gatekeeper mm. but but the problem with that is though is how on earth are you found you're a drop in the ocean so mm. how, how does anyone find you amongst all the other millions of voices and so that's why i'm still really happy to be having a label to put things out and putting yeah. albums out because it might take a while but at least it, I have an opportunity for people to people will pay attention to it with um, your label as well Warp you have that heritage of that label it's a well respected label yeah. was there any um, intimidation for you when you signed? well you know sort of talking about being um, you know tech savvy and music biz savvy I, I was not Mm. music is savvy at all it's really green and when i sort of signed the the internet wasn't as fully integrated into our very you know our lives and our very souls in the way that it is now and so i was sort of sending cdrs out you know Mm -hmm. i wasn't i think you're when was 
um, Nova. Well, Nova came out 2010. 2010, so you probably signed it in 2009. Yeah, or... so something like that. Yeah, so you so... were around the same time yeah, as us, so MySpace just... was still a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, so I suppose b- back then I wasn't Googling things on my phone. You no. Know? Like I couldn't have Googled WAP and, and got a you know, understood their history just at a glance. So I didn't, I didn't really, I, I've learned about warp as I've been on them over, over the, mm. over the years, really. So I, didn't, I think I, that's a really sort of, you know, yeah, it's a really nice gradual way to learn about what, you know, where warp came from really. And, and so I wasn't, I wasn't intimidated by the history because I didn't really understand it at the time. Yeah. I was just like, wow, this isn't someone wants to... Someone you know. wants to do this. Yeah, this yeah. is amazing, you know. Yeah, those um, first meetings you have at labels and you're just in the room, yeah. did they do the, uh, oh, you can take some CDs thing? Um, actually, you know what? I don't think Warp did do that. Oh. But yeah, I've made up for that over the years by good, yeah, good. Getting, getting lots of we final. Kind of, we kind of flirted around a few people, so we like went into Atlantic and stuff, and I just came oh, out with amazing. loads of soul. And yeah, things I and mean, I, I, you know, it was it was Jason White at Four AD that um, mm. took, brought me to the attention of Steve Beckett at Warp. So I remember doing that at Four AD, mm. even though I wasn't <laughs> signed to them. I yeah. did. Uh, I, d- I did, we oh, did, we did, yeah, I did rinse four ADs. Uh, I've still got quite a lot of those CDs on my shelves now. Mm-hmm. From, so it's, that's brilliant, you know. There's lots of great things about that. Mm. Yeah. Um, but the whole sort of, like, resident advisor have just put out their sort of label of the month, in quite in-depth feature on Warp. And mm. When I sort of do read about their origins, I really relate to that, to their origins. Yeah. You know, that sort of slightly more funk oriented you know so I definitely relate to that and mm. I feel like I do I am a sort of echo of their origins rather than I know I'm not a you know to, you know what people would think of as a classic war pact yeah. I, I know I'm not but I'm part of that sort of when they expanded yeah, people will think of that like far left field yeah and that's stuff. fine but um but you know but they also signed Maximo Park. Yeah. So, like, there's obviously. Well, I like to think that they brought in some money into the coffers, which I benefited from. Which you spent. Yeah. yeah. So I always say thanks, Maximo Park. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've always said this, like, you, when you when you look at some of the big major labels who then have like indie subsidiaries in imprints, yeah. you can sort of track like Britney Spears funding tiny little noise core yeah. bands and oh, stuff, it's mad. and it's kind of nice, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, Nothing against Britney Spears. Um, again, that's just like quite complex layers behind the mm. industry, isn't it? That I'm, I'm just so... like I'm so sort of I'm such a typical artist in the sense that I just live in my head all the time in this mm. daydream, and you know, come come a cropper because of that. Sometimes I think I'm not, you know, yeah, I'm like this... I'm probably going to end up, you know, like people just find someone half dead living in a car in their 60s or something I'm like yeah that'll be me because I'm just not you know just day I just live in a daydream so you know. but most synths are portable now so you'll be fine you'll just plug them into the car <laughs> I don't even have a car so I don't even know what I'm talking about I'll just be there's plenty around sat, I'm sure sat you can... beside the canal with a four track or something <laughs> well batteries batteries, yeah, batteries do exist yeah. but there, I think there is something like important to escape the um when you get too focused on the business of of art yeah then it it's really depressing 
Well, like, not... If you really start getting into the numbers and how, like, how many tracks hit Spotify a yeah. year, I think the odds work out, just raw odds, there's more chance of you being that one person who wins the lottery. Oh, than, my God. Because it's, like, what, however many million tracks hit a year and stuff. But obviously, some of those tracks are just Barry from down yeah. the pub doing yeah. some covers and getting them up for his mates. So it's yeah. not like Barry's getting in your way. Stop harassing Barry. Oh, sorry, he's, Barry. He's enjoying Go himself. Go for it, Barry. Yeah. He's having a lot of fun. He got that Fender for Christmas that year and he's got, really embraced it. against Barry, but it's like... He's, he's getting out. He's getting he's clogging the airwaves, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> Stop, Barry. Get out of our way. Just get out of the way. And advice for new musicians. Don't do it. We, we need the space. We haven't, we haven't said everything we want to say, guys. Yeah. Come on. You can wait. I didn't start till I was 27. Come on. Uh, no, I'm just thinking about Barry now. Poor guy. Yeah. He's good, though. Just go back to cassettes, you know, I think he's types. good. His wife's getting him a capo right. for Christmas Brilliant. so you can do some higher register stuff. Cool. Good at <laughs> no, um, I, I, you know, I've got friends who I sort of, I've recently started trying to be a bit more communicative and... Trying to stop making music, exactly. <laughs> well, and, well, just like, you know, uh, you know, I was chatting to other musician friends and they're like, just be a bit more positive about it and how you can, you know turn it into something positive and, mm. you know, trying to do that, you know. <laughs> like, the the big positive for right now in music is that you can still follow that traditional model of finding a label and getting them to fund bigger yeah. things. But you can also write a song and put it on Spotify within two days. Yeah. You know, if you've got something building around you and, I don't know, you're in Hull and mm. there's... I love people- Hull. I like Hull, actually. <laughs> I go there a lot. Last time I was there, I got in an argument about a joke I made on stage. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was fun. Yeah. It, was, it was a fun it's day. It's beautiful. Just kind of love the <clears throat> sort of ruins of the fishing industry. It's, I'm, yeah. I'm into all that sort of bleak industrial uh, stuff. And so got, Hull is perfect for that. It's also got a budget shop called Texas Chain Store Massacre. Where's that? Uh, I can't remember. Uh, on, the, on, on a road. Right. That we drove past mm. on the way there's, out. There's, there's like a dinosaur shop there that's been there for years. Just sells Is dinos- it actually like dinosaurs. Di- I think it's called the Dinosaur Experience. Oh, okay. Um, so it's not a shop like fossilized shop from way back. No. Made by no. dinosaurs that like would be Flintstones. That would be really good. That would be nice. Yeah. You know? Um, what yeah. were we talking about? So, I don't, Barry. Barry. Uh, oh, yeah, no, but like if you have like something building a, a, in a little corner of wherever you you can still engage give your audience something to to embrace and support rather than you know even even things like there's companies like teespring and all that who do one-off t-shirt prints so you can you just upload your artwork and if you've only got five people willing to pay for it they can buy it yeah and you've not lost anything there's there's definitely more options for someone new, but that means there's more options for everyone. So it mm. is that much harder to get heard, which is a nightmare. I, I just think that can, you know, c- kind of com- you know cloud your mind sometimes, and mm. you know some of the best. Well, you know, the days I switch my phone off, 
I feel like my old self again, mm. you know, and like I might even read a book or something like I used to, you know. It's why like I, I used to read, like I used to devour books when I was younger. I feel like mm. I was a lot smarter when I was younger. I feel like I peaked, you know, years ago because <laughs> now I just sort of scroll on my phone and worry yeah. about stuff. And it's like, well, you used to actually read and do things. I think it's why I like right, uh, driving. Like, yeah. Because it's like... You can't scroll on your phone when you're driving. Can't scroll. You can, but <laughs> don't. And, and I tend to put on stuff like Radio 4. Yeah. I don't know why. Like, I, you'd think I would listen to music, but... Like, oh, I can't stand uh, music in the car. Like, on tour, mm. I'm quite tyrannical about that. There's just absolutely no way everyone's going to be sticking their album on next. Can't yeah, stand yeah. it. Absolutely can't stand it. Yeah, you need... Because you're, you're, the van is like your home, really, and it's like... It needs to be neutral. Mm. So I, you've all got headphones. Use them. Uh, yeah, and everyone's listening to what crap. You know, not whatever <laughs> album it is. I just don't want to get into that whole, you know, <laughs> ra- wrangling over what album to put on. It just immediately makes me really tense. So yeah, it's pretty much um, enforced radio three. You know, nice because that's just neutral. I just mm-hmm. want a sort of zen like ambience in a in a tour van because. You have to manage your fatigue and your levels of excitement and mm. stuff, and just want to save that. Yes, yeah, stress, stress on tour is stressed. Yeah, and it's, it always seems to come from outside. We had a um, uh, visuals guy for a little, little bit. Yeah, and the stress he caused. Really? <laughs> like every time we would get to services or something, he'd vanish for like oh, forty-five I hate minutes. That. Oh god, like, no, dude, we're already late for the gig, and we're driving to Edinburgh. Come on. Get those reins that they have for toddlers or yeah. something. But then you'd find him like with a full fry up, just there, like, what? Oh, I thought. All right, so he's one of those people with no concept of time. Really, no I concept of time. I really hate that. No, he but... would have been fired immediately <laughs> if it was me. <laughs> he was doing us a favour, so. Yeah. And it was only three shows. It That's was fine. The folly we of favours, isn't it? Yeah. Just pay people and. <laughs> <laughs> then you don't have to put up with the nonsense. He had one tour with a singer that just like imploded with the crew, just everyone around us, other than me and me and Pip. Me and Pip right. were just we're the band, yeah, yeah. and we're just merrily. Yeah, I'm doing our spreadsheets because yeah. I was sort of at that point uh, kind of doing all our accounts and stuff. Yeah. so I was just in the van with Excel, mm. rock mm. and rolling. Pip that's, was playing, that's the reality of touring. Yeah. You know? yeah. Pip was probably playing solitaire on his phone. Yeah. And all around us, there was this drama. She had a crush on this one. That one oh, wow. was, like, angry at that one. Like, God, our, ours, our tour van was quite, um, <laughs> it was quite sort of highfalutin, really, because we'd have Radio 3 on, and the guys would be playing chess. <coughs> and, like, oh, the nice. drummer would be reading Nabokov or something. So it's really <laughs> like, oh, my God. Oh, so you had a, you had a table as well. That's oh, yeah, more yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. interested in. Yeah, we had a table. Yeah. yeah. I, height I just, of indulgence. When you get the ones that are more like minibuses that are just rows, and you're trying to do something yeah. on your laptop, but you haven't quite got enough space to open the screen the whole way. No, on the odd occasion we got, we ended up with a sort of, more of a cheap sort of rattly van that was really dirty and Mm. my sort of mental health just plummets in environments like that I Mm. do just need I'm not like a princess or anything but I just need you know I just need I'm going to be in that van you're not asking for a jacuzzi but you are asking for I wouldn't mind but you know (laughs) I would ask if I could afford it but But um, you don't want black mould 
No, basically. and I don't want to be in semi-darkness sitting in the sweat of some other dudes. You know, mm. I just want a clean van with a little table, thanks. That's it. No, I, I keep making it about me, but you just keep reminding me of things. We had our very, <laughs> very first sound man was that sound man Jim. If you're listening, Jim, I hope you're well. Um, but he had his own van and he just became obsessed with like strips of LEDs. <laughs> oh my God, we could have had a, you know, if you got into that tour bus and on the outside, it was like hand painted like army green. It looked, yeah. you know, when you opened it up, he'd put in like a um, 70s corner thing, TV stand with a yeah. TV on it. See, I don't and like then, watching TV in the van, no way. It was very no strange, way. but LEDs everywhere. You felt like there should be a pole right in the middle oh, of the van no. for a bit of dancing. Deary, deary me. It was fun times. Just, like. uh, you know, clean. I was just, I like, I really like chain hotels. I just like that clean, blank uniform. You get the same, same yeah, place Yeah, it's every... soothing. It's very soothing yeah. and you need that on tour. I and Travelodge have just redone all their hotels. They their have rooms. actually. They're much better, aren't they? That, that happened right at the end of my touring life as such. And it yeah, was same like, here. I was like, Ooh, damn you. Nice. I, I used to Thanks, really guys. like the Ibis budget. That was yeah. brilliant. Just... Ibis are more in-city. And I right, always like yeah. to do the finish the gig, hang around for a bit, and get get on the way. The yeah, like a motorway travel lodge. You know? We are boring I tourists. That. I love that. We're very efficient. No, it's sort of it's sort of more Balladian or something, isn't it? You know, just it's to... just something like knowing you're already on the way. Yeah, yeah, is nice. Yeah. And then getting Satisfying. up in the morning at random services and trying to find a coffee was actually quite fulfilling yeah. for me. I mean, on the last tour, we even started going running. Oh wow! Yeah, you went that far. Yeah, we started to started to. It really yeah. really helped with the fatigue. Really did. Mm. So I remember us, three of us running around Norwich. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's weird Norwich because it's just a hill. Well, we you know we're big partridge fans, so we were beside ourselves. Mm. You know, just enjoying all the road signs to you know diss and Thetford <laughs> Forest and everything. So Norwich was a highlight. Yeah. Nice. I was there just the other day recording one. But me being me, the thing I was most excited about was just how many like random synths the cash converters had. Oh, is that like, anything good? Not strictly good. No. But like weird nineties like there was a thing called a revolution. <laughs> so it was a revolution three oh nine. So like a combination of a three oh three and a nine oh nine. And you didn't buy it. I did it was like three hundred quid. I'm I'm not spending that kind of money. Yeah, but revolution. I know. I love that word. It's beautiful. It's like a groove box, like well, massive. Now, now thing. I have to tell you the provenance of that cog triton. Do it. I have to wheel out that little anecdote because <laughs> it's really heavy, like I can't pick that up. They're, it's they're ridiculous. Um so that used to belong to Brian Eno. Nice! Because um, he visited Somerset House. He was a patron oh. of Somerset House Studios. He may still be. And I was just in my studio one day, and Marie McPartland, the director of the studios, kind of wanders. There's a big stone ramp in that studio space. It was just one of the sort of weird and wonderful things about it. And I just saw these figures walking down the ramp. Oh. I was like, all right. And then just, you know... Suddenly, Brian Eno's there, sort of just in my face, you know, and in my studio. And it was like <laughs> every part of me was cringing because, you know, you've got this renowned producer yeah. looking at all my weird, odd, odd, odd bits and pieces of a studio, kind of. Mm. And he's just looking at it all, and, uh, you know, 
he was really nice, really friendly, and just got chatting. And uh, he said he was trying to get rid of a load of synths. And oh. I just jokingly said, oh, well, oh, I've, got, I've got some space, you know, if you want to send me one. Oh, well, <laughs> a week later, one arrived. No way. So there it is. And it is on the new new record as well. well it sort so. of had to be. Even if you didn't play it, just hit it. The thing was, it, it, it has such snare. a sort of different digital sound to everything else I was using. Yeah. I really struggled with it at first to somehow integrate it in any way because mm. the sound is just so different. Because um, I was using like apps and things like that. Um, but it is on there. It's on there. It's, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. I'm going to throw back to two podcasts ago. Nathan Fake, he... Um, He'd obviously he'd done two fairly big albums and then gone into a bit of a wasn't enjoying anything he was making and it was a called prophecy which is just before that not right. long before that but it, him trying to learn that was actually a big catalyst to yeah. creating his well, last album. It, I've, you know, there's rarely been an instrument that I've not sort of wrangled with that didn't mm. yeah be a catalyst for something you know. But in you, some way. do you? Do you enjoy the limitations? Because, like, obviously the first album's yes. far less equipment heavy. <laughs> yeah. And But you obviously got a little more. It doesn't feel like you invested huge amounts in a massive studio for Hinterland. God, but... no, not at all. I mean, I sort of joke that those both of those records were sort of made with Lego and Sellotape. And mm. what I mean by that is just my own basic equipment. You know, on both those records I used... And I've used on the, the new, new material as well um, a, a Yamaha keyboard that cost 30 quid mm. and was bought for the family I think when I was 10 years old but it just has this such a brilliant sort of mm. I think it's just become my sound really along with my a, quite a cheap Telecaster and and on this Yamaha keyboard I use the inbuilt drum settings on it but they just have this really you know cheap again just cheap yeah but really characterful sound and I, I used that on both Nerve Up and Hinterland yeah, Hinterland, I did sort of broaden out. I did embellish the arrangements more, playing bass and keyboard. And this, this the thing that you notice straight away, the yeah. bass, com- the bass yeah, guitar sound yeah. is there. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even have a you know a bass guitar for Nerve Up, and I just wasn't really th- thinking in terms of it, this must have a classic four-piece lineup. It was just whatever I could sort of fit onto my Tascam 4-track, really. Mm. Um and so, yeah, it's it it it's evolved. I mean, the next record. I suppose I, I do like you know. Next um, record, you bought an eight track, yeah. No, I, yeah. <laughs> ne- next record, I've gone to you know Abbey Road. <laughs> no, it's just changed. I think you know the the new material reflects my sort of interest in electronic music that has deepened over the past few years, mm. um, and. Really, just wanting, just having massive sort of analog envy, really, and wanting, mm. just wanting more, more gear. I mean, I think it's really amazing to have. You know, I'm really proud of those records, and the, the setup was so mm. minimal. And it's amazing to make. You know, I really love the sort of the I, the minu- the economy of it. You know, a lot of post punk music I love is really economical. I think you have to pay more attention to the notes. Like, I know yeah. that sounds obvious, but well, I'm, o- do... I'm always sort of taking stuff out, and I think I always, I'm always referring to songwriting as being a very painterly thing. I sort of build it up brushstroke by brushstroke and then see what mm. can I take out again. Yeah, what doesn't need to be there? Yeah, so I'm, I'm always um, 
sort of anxious about things getting too busy, you know. I don't know who said it, but the like the best way to write dialogue for uh, in a book or, or a play or whatever is to write what you want the person to say and then remove words until the very point where it almost stops making sense. Yeah. So just like distilling. Yeah, cut yeah. it because that's how we talk. We none of us I don't know. None of us went to Eton, so we don't yeah. need all these big... Well, like, I can't stand Radio 4 sometimes because, like, nobody I know speaks like that or a Radio mm. 4 play. I just can't bear, you know, because of the was... way that they speak, people speak to each other in a Radio 4 play. It's just on, insane. On Woman's Hour today... Yeah, there I, can't, was... I can't listen to that either for other reasons. <laughs> it just enrages me, but there you go. <laughs> but there was one called D is for Dexter, and it was about uh, a... Girl in around Scumthorpe who uh, was struggling to be accepted by her mum, and then a little bit late onwards. See, this is my whole journey was Radio Four. There was something about a hunger strike in Ireland, mm. a play. A, a play so about that's the that. thing, though, when they do bring in something that's working class, it's like total, you know. You well, know, yeah, they, grinding misery. It's yeah. like, come on, you know. Well, that's the thing. They did. They had that. A and bit that, of nuance wouldn't go amiss. I think know? it went from a poet talking about the sound of trees yeah. to like hunger strikes in the IRA yeah. and stuff. And it, it was like very <laughs> jarring, very <laughs> jarring. Like this morning. Yeah, it was actually. Yeah. yeah, it was very like they were pulling in all like Hardy and like these big, renowned poets, and then. Yeah. An Irish guy trying to Barry, yeah, Barry again. Hashtag Barry. (laughs) But I suppose, like, maybe that's that's something about the London-centric nature of some stuff that it does definitely feel like. If you listen to Six Music, I think part of the success of Six Music is that you get to hear accents, you get to hear Lauren Laverne, yeah, you get to hear voices that sound like you, yeah, you know. I think the reason why Kiss FM yeah. did so well in Essex, because yeah. everyone on it was from Essex, and it yeah, felt like brilliant. Yeah. me growing up, that was the station where I heard people that sounded like me. Yeah, you know? it's, it is important to um, that sort of representation. Um, n- not that I sort of sometimes don't. I, I don't quite know where my own sort of trajectory came from, really, because mm. I just, you know. You know, parents are creative in their own ways, but it's not like people were playing instruments around yeah. the house, and there was not, no one was painting. Or I just, I kind of just, you know, loved art straight mm. from the get go, really. And you know, you said on a, another podcast about uh, when you started playing cello. Yeah, and it was just hearing it. And yeah, going. I was I was eighteen and uh, still living at home. I think just at that point, and I'd started listening to like classic FM or something. Mm. And again, that that was certainly not something that was on in our house. I mm. just sort of stumbled on it and heard a cello and thought, I want to make that noise. And so I started cello lessons at eighteen and learned how to like read music and all that. And before then, that those things were like, well, just unbelievable. Like you know. To be able to read music and stuff like that just seemed like a magical power, you know. Mm. Just at that time, I was just I just really devoured a lot of things. Wanted to learn all instruments. I was reading a lot and just like I say, yeah, I was just it was a really rich rich time. Yeah, yeah. Reading music because I I can't read music. I, I kind of I can look at I can you put music in front of me and yeah. I can slowly tell you what each note is, but 
I can't sight read. No, I can't, and I, I don't. I never learned any theory or anything like that. I, I just learned how to play. All the, the theory I know, I've learned in the last year. Oh wow, yeah. Like generally, like I, oh, well, that's how you make a minor scale, and you can just apply that rule to every. Okay, weird. Yeah, I don't. There's something in my brain that just doesn't gel with the theory side of it. I just really wanted to learn how to play the cello, and I was really, I was, you know. I would sort of practice two hours a day and then it was a bit like, what am I going to do with this? Mm. Am I going to join the Halle? I mean, what am I going <laughs> to do with this? So it, it was strange in a way because it just, one day I just kind of stopped playing because mm. I just sort of thought, well, where am I going to go with it? And now, but now I I just, I use it as a sound source and it's mm. just another instrument in the studio. Yeah. So that's, that's cool. But that's like, I think maybe that's a thing that... Um, this modern age where we're all meant to be like content creators or yeah. uh, building content our providers per- on the radio earlier someone said um yeah and it's a way to build your personal brand equity online it's like well, what i did actually use the word brand the other day it did come out of my mouth and i mm. thought oh god what have i become yeah but it, it, you know it does <laughs> it quickly changed it, it does, and said yeah. i meant identity but i said yeah. brand and i felt Dirty. But yeah, and but like in in that we, because we're being pushed to be content creators or whatever, like the just joy of doing. Yeah. You know, if you, you want to play the remember, cello you know? for just you playing the cello, that's cool. Yeah, like imagine just sitting and playing the cello, digging out like a back sonata or something, and just doing it, but not insta- not putting that on Instagram. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. No. No, you so what's happened? Because like, even fi- like five years ago, we weren't all doing this, were we? Oh, I wasn't. I, I think maybe there's a certain element of just like people have had massive success doing it. You know, there's nothing wrong in that. It's just that thing of everyone's doing it, and it can get quite tiring. Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of paradoxical because I do quite I, I do really like Twitter actually. Mm. Um, but I think it's like a sort of Faustian pact or something because I sort of realise for every, say, 20 good things I see mm. in in a stream or a feed, I'll see two things that really make my day a lot worse. Like just you know some horrific that? image of animal You're... cruelty or, or just some new horrible statistic about some misogynistic thing or, yeah. you know, it's just something like that that actually goes into my brain and is toxic and it stays in my brain. You know, and that's the price you pay. That is the price you pay, but you do curate your own experience. And by that ratio, it mm. sounds to me like you've actually done quite a good job of, of curating mm. a more positive experience. If you, yeah. you know, if you are, say you're someone whose only interest is politics, yeah. you're only going to see I mean, you're politics. just setting yourself up to be, I, I mean, that's where a lot tiring. of my sort of things negative things do come via sort of political things that I follow and I am considering actually just unfollowing them because if I can't act on it right at this moment all I'm doing is putting mm. just toxicity into my brain that just makes me feel bad the ones that get me are when it's your friends and you don't want to unfollow them you want I want to show my friends support and yeah. but at the same time I, I can be quite you know harsh with that I have unfollowed I've, people a, a few people recently I've had I've said look I, I, I don't want to see what you're putting out. Like yeah. respect. If you want to talk to me, just yeah. send me a DM. But yeah. like, yeah. I'm don't I'm, want it anymore. Yeah, I don't want to see it anymore. Yeah. Which is hard, but like, 
I don't know if you were no, like... No, it's, it's, it's about preserving your well-being, I yeah. think. So I don't have any too many qualms really, about it, really. If you really had, like, a visceral hatred of jazz and Barry mm. kept coming round your yeah. house playing yeah. jazz, yeah. you'd ask Barry to stop. I'm really seeing Barry now. I think we've really made him into... We've, we've, a, we've really brought him, him to life, haven't we? have formed him, yeah. I feel like he's sat here with us now. <laughs> no doubt someone's take already... Take him with you when you leave, won't you? you know? No, no, he can like, stay. Well, he I don't want him here, him. like, haunting me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> just, just judging you. Yeah, just this demon. You talk about touring and you've got people in the van. Yes. How is it for you to um, write your songs, record your songs, mm. but then not hand them over to someone else, but to, to let other people into that, the performance of them? Well, I'm, I'm lucky in the, the people that I have sort of used, you know, so far, because they have just been really good about playing a part that has been given to them. Mm. I mean, I would never want to use full-on session musicians because that seems pretty soul-destroying, really. Mm. So I'm sort of lucky, and I've had this sort of halfway house between being able to use musicians I respect and who are all artists in their own right, yeah. but they've, they're sort of not having, don't have issues with taking on a, a part that I've written and mm. I'm, I'm, teach, I'm, I'm teaching I'm teaching them the bass line or whatever or more often than not it, you know they'll just go off and learn it anyway and so that, I mean that's I feel really lucky with that I don't I don't take that for granted really you, and you, so I mean I love uh, you know I love actually physically playing the music and mm. there being a band there you know how's that evolution from standing on the stage on your own to what is it a four piece? At yeah, this point? I mean it was total for, uh, evolution because it, it literally was just me and a tiny little uh, Zoom uh, drum machine. Mm. That's how I used to play live, and you know my guitar amp, obviously. But it was um, yeah, and then it, it evolved to a two piece. So with Andrew Cheatham was a drummer for quite a long time, but and then a three piece, and then yeah, Hinterland was a, was a four piece, and I think that. I think it really fleshed out the sound finally. Mm. I think it was always a bit lop lopsided. I mean, the lo-fi thing is brilliant for a while. And part of me hankers to go back to just me and a drum machine. But ultimately, it's a bit monotonous, that. Yeah. You know, the pounding of the drum machine and the guitar. And it, that, that it, never changes. And, you know, there's pros and cons to that. I think when it was live drums, it became a lot more powerful. But then I think there's like a sort of frequency void. You know, you've got the... It's all very trebly and clangy, and mm -hmm. I loved that. But I think again, that must be quite wearying to hear after a while. <laughs> like a two, and it's not like it was the White Stripes; it wasn't a rock thing, so it yeah. wasn't like a full guitar sound. You, it was a scratchy, you got a jangly, telly. a jangly guitar sound. Yeah, yeah. Um, we I associate heavily with Manchester, I think, because like Bernard Sumner's guitar for through Joy Division. It's really heavy. Or, his guitar sound, really. I'd never play an SG. But he gets the jangle, and maybe it's in the wrist or something. Well, there's, there's, the that, he... there's that other one, the teardrop guitar as well. I mean, his, yeah, I mean, his, the early movement era is mass, a massive influence on me. Mm. Um, his sort of scratchy I like rhythms. There's something in movement. Uh, so this is a New Order album, guys. Uh, look it up. On, not on Spotify, Not on Spotify, though. yeah. Um, <laughs> there's something on that album where he's trying to fill uh, Ian's 
space yeah. and he's almost trying I don't think it's even conscious but his voice is almost doing a Ian Curtis impression mm, yeah. so he's definitely singing lower and yeah. trying to fill that place and it, it is, I actually really like it for um, it feels more human I mean I, I absolutely love the awkwardness of that era and I think mm. some of the singles around that are really truly sublime and I've, I've done a cover of Cries and Whispers and mm. Just that fumbling and stumbling for the next direction actually creates. I love the sort of clashing of temperatures around in that in that period, that short period of time. Mm. It's, you know, hot and cold, and you know, the new new sort of technologies creeping in, and the. I just love love all that kind of hybrid sound. And mm. later on, it's it's really ma- magnificent later on, but it's a different beast later on. But, like, that album could have easily just been the end of it for them yeah. as well. There's definitely there's a tension there of an audience waiting after... Obviously, Ian Curtis was such a hero to so many people mm. that how do you ever replace him? But, but did. They, <laughs> they did really... They yeah. found their own... and. There's still a seriousness to it, but I think a lightness creeps in. There's definitely there's like as you go into power corruption, lies, mm. particularly starting to get those little disco influences coming mm. in. Those little yeah, I mean they, they seemed like they never forgot how to have a good time. Mm. But I, the other thing I'm really like uh, I'm sort of really grateful to. New Order for is the way they were and still are to some extent on stage. Mm. Like all the the, the performance in inverted commas was inside; it was interior, and mm. it drew you in. You know, I always thought they made looking a bit and not even awkward, just really self-contained. Like they didn't have to; they barely would barely move sometimes in some yeah. of that old footage. And I just, I just find that absolutely fascinating. It really draws me into the, their inner world. And so I've only seen them on festival stages. I've never got yeah. to see them anywhere else. But I saw them pre-Peter Hook leaving and yeah. post. And uh, it it still fascinates me how he had this dynamic, yeah. yet they don't miss that dynamic. I thought yeah. they would. You know, I saw them at... So I saw them at Reading Festival when they were doing the recycle stuff around the time Rob Gretton passed. Yeah. And uh, that, it was great and it felt good. And But they filled that stage without moving, which was yeah. odd. And then sort of the festival, what, five years ago now. Mm. And the lad from Marion is playing yeah. bass and stuff. And it was still. Tom and Phil, is it? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it I was mean, they've been in that band for ages. Now. A long time, yeah. 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 But it was amazing to me how it didn't. You would think it would detract, but. We well, no. you know I support them. In, you did. I was yeah. going to get there. I was going to get there. You ruined. She ruined it, Barry, guys. She ruined in. it. Sorry, but, Barry. Sorry, Barry. <laughs> but um, how was that for you? Well, well, supported them in in Castlefield, Castlefield Bowl. Yeah, which is big. To when was that? What year was that? I can't remember. Possibly two thousand sixteen. Mm. Um, and that was, you know, to sort of support one of your favourite bands ever in your own home mm. town was about, you know, incredibly special, really. But it was intimidating because, you know, I think if, if a new order audience don't like you, you'll know about it. Yeah. You know? But, you know, they did. 
and and then we supported them again recently in in Bristol. Um, Where was that in Bristol? Harbour side, mm-hmm. so a sort of outdoor yeah. stage just by the harbour. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's the you know it's it's the only time I you know get really sort of giddy and fangirlish about <laughs> things, and you know it's nice to sort of. I didn't meet um, Gillian last time, so it was really nice to meet Gillian properly this time. And mm. um, you know, I, remember I sort of stood on stage while they sound checked um, transmission. That's oh. one. It's if I had to say what a favourite Joy Division song is, it would be yeah. that. So to hear to be stood on stage and you know, the Bernard's guitar sound was pretty much just exactly the same, and he just <laughs> ripped through that solo, and yeah. you know, was, yeah, it made me tremble. Genuinely, mm. it was just mind blowing, really. How was it for you to try to fill that stage, though? Um, you can't, you can't be what you're not, and I'm quite sort of settled with that mm. realization. And I don't, you know, I actually think that you know, people in the audience on the whole are not going there to hate you. They oh, want God, no. to like you, yeah, so they've... we're all. You know, we're all pulling for the same thing, and um, I've, I've always made the assumption, like whether you're the headliner or the support, yeah. the audience understand that generally the headliner has chosen the support. Yeah. So yeah. that means this person you idolise on that has curated this for you. Yeah. You know, so giving those bands a chance yeah. makes a hell of a lot of sense. You know, it, it was, doesn't always work. I'd, I've had really good experiences with that, so mm. I'm just yeah. It's all just really good vibes, both on on stage from the audience, yeah, and backstage as well. You know, I, we supported um, Basement Jacks at Brixton yeah. Academy or Hammerf- Apollo. I get them confused, and there was an audible tut, like oh, when we no, started really? playing our first song. It was just like, oh, that's all right, a guys. shame. All right, cool. We'll just rush through this. Like we always had a Boo. bit of banter, yeah. and we were like, we're just getting through this. I think we had thirty minutes, and we were off yeah. in like twenty-two or something. Right. We were done. Did our set. Get out of the way. It's weird. It's, yeah, it's tough. I, I don't find being on stage easy at all. Mm. At all. I'm not a natural sort of show off in that sense. Not that I was insinuating it, that you are. <laughs> I'm just saying I find it. It's it never. It doesn't. It gets a bit easier. When but you when you realise no one's gonna I think throw a cabbage at you or something. Something about maybe they will. Not dishonest, but there's a different. I always there's a different Dan that goes on the stage. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There's a, a yeah. luder, um, but not. There's a cheekier. My job on stage. I, I want to see this now. <laughs> well, I was my job was basically just to undermine Pip at right. any opportunity. Yeah. Um, like he would say a thing, and I would have some silly thing to right. to say that would we for all our electronic upbeatness. You know, he was rapping about self harm and suicide, yeah. and there's there is a song about an attempted rape and all mm. this and we performed those songs mm. so in between the songs not all the time but you know if we'd gone like three or four songs without a break yeah my job was to loosen the room again to yeah. break that bit of tension sometimes mm. so but this Dan couldn't have done that no like the when I'm standing on stage at a festival talking about you know, why we should be bringing back fingering. 
Um, you know, like that's not a thing I walk around the supermarket talking yeah. about. But it helped. They were students as well, yeah. so it was oh, fitting. I wasn't just randomly. That. Yeah. It was just a few Context gigs. is everything, isn't it, really? Yeah, students, they got the fingering talk. Yeah. Do you feel like anything changed in the way you perform after doing bigger stages? Like, obviously, over time, you've just naturally yourself yeah. got to play bigger stages. I, th- I think it's... I couldn't have played, you know, some of those bigger stages, you know, right at the start if I'd have been mm. sort of shoved onto a huge stage. I mean, I'm, it may have fallen apart. I mm. think you just... That is a kind of craft that you learn. You mm. learn to handle that. Just things like... You know, your sound person is miles away. Yeah. Dealing with the the fact that you 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 your sort of close port of call is is the monitor man. You know, and just mm. different technical things that you yeah. you need to not let throw you. Really, the fact that your bandmates might be miles away from you, mm. and just learning how far away is too far, or because mm-hmm. we we would always still stay relatively close yeah, to each other, kind of bunch up, but without you know looking tiny in the middle of the stage. Um, but I do remember feeling a bit like if you, I was always on a big stage. I wonder. I do sort of feel like I, I would feel an increasing pressure to make bigger gestures somehow, like physically mm. somehow, or know? get lasers. Lasers are lasers, always good. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'll. It does. It yeah. It definitely changes. I, I could. I remember playing on on big like a big stage for the first time and fe- thinking as I was playing, God, this is different. This is mm. weird. And sometimes thinking, I, I don't know if I can fill this stage. Is this, this enough? You know. So it's it's really different. There's something about the energy of the crowd as well. It's like I do think in in a room of like. 200 people it bounces it gets trapped in the room yeah like and it, it becomes its own kind of um self-oscillating wave of it's more energy. intense actually i think now i'd be in a, in a weird way less i would find it potentially more intimidating to play a sort of 200 capacity yeah. room than to be sort of you know shoved on a big stage mm. and everything's a bit more anonymous and further away from you in a way that's easier mm does mean something you know when mm. you're on a you know my occasional appearances on a main mm-hmm. stage mm-hmm. and everything it does mean something mm. it, it's you know it's, it, you have worked to get there you haven't just been mm. plopped on there you know I, d- I do find main stages at festivals fascinating things I remember seeing um, do you remember Atari Teenage Riot yeah them on the Reading Festival main stage at 12 midday and it was just like, it wasn't even that. It was like 10 to 12. Because yeah. in one of the like tiny tents, a band, local band were playing. Yeah. And it was like, oh, everyone was going. And then we all came out of that tent having seen our mates on stage at Reading. Yeah. And there was the Atari Teenage Riot to like what felt like 50 people, even mm. though there was probably thousands milling around. And like, how do you even get the energy to... God, I mean, it's... I. Um... I've got a real... It's funny, I find it hard to criticise any band, almost. I mean, I, I would do in the pub or whatever, but, oh, you know, because yeah. I, you know, I just know how much work it takes to to get to that point mm. and tour and play live and deal with all the technical issues and do a good performance and all the rest of it. It's, you know, I really Criticism. respect how sort of hard that is to do that. You know? I'm really comfortable criticising bands who, uh, at this point, don't need to do it anymore. 
Like, I'm comfortable criticising Ed Sheeran. He's got, yeah. like, he's fed his family for the next five generations or whatever. I, don't, I so, just sort of see him as a sort of CEO or so. I don't even yeah, really see him as a... businessman. You know, it's, it's fine. It's not my... It's something that's so detached from my reality that I don't even know, you know, I don't even think about it almost. There's a Jay-Z line, um, which is, I'm not a businessman, I'm a business man yeah which i've always quite liked and he's like the first business he's the first billionaire in hip-hop which is insane to think about it like but most of that's coming from clothing and yeah rum and all that which is madness yeah i mean i i do love some of jay-z stuff and beyonce as well but i, I sort of went off them a bit because i just again i just sort of saw them as like CEOs, you know, mm. and it, it, it's quite cold, I feel, a lot of that. There's, there is a point at which, like, I like music that needed to be released. Yeah. Like, if you, the person creating it, needed to put that in the world, then I'm perfectly happy that that exists. So if Robbie Williams woke up and he needed to release yeah. that Christmas album, <laughs> I'm... Yeah, do it. But yeah. if you're only releasing it because it's a product to sell, it just feels like, get out of the way. Because yeah. this is my art. This is yeah. the thing I... Music's the most important thing that's ever happened in my life. So mm. stop fucking with it, dickhead. Yeah. I want... I yeah, wanna... I mean, I, I sort of get a bit overwhelmed with just how much music there is out there. And it mm. can be quite off-putting <laughs> and I keep finding stuff where it's not strictly it is music but it's not strictly music there's a guy called on YouTube called Knobs mm. like Knobs with a K yeah and all he does is pedal reviews but he doesn't talk <laughs> so he's it just he, you see an image of the uh, pedal and he'll just play his guitar yeah and he's just got a really nice way of playing the guitar it's very gentle but not not obvious it's not like he's just playing jazz licks or something it's yeah. like his style mm. and he oh, the pedals he chooses are always a little bit special they've mm. got a little bit odd you know right. and yeah it's just him 10 minutes of him just playing and changing the settings yet somehow that's like way more interesting to me in musical than 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 things that I'm being marketed to yeah. you know which yeah. I find really odd and YouTube's for all the hell that YouTube is, there's so many, like, really interesting creators out yeah. there who could only really exist on YouTube. Like, yeah, just, yeah, I mean, it's a good forum for sort of eccentrics, isn't it, to do definitely. their thing. Yeah, and racists. So, you yeah, know, an you eccentric know. racist. Yes. I've yet to find a Nazi making ambient, though. There's got to be there one, will though. Be. Yeah, I'm sure there is. Barry. Yeah, oh no, too many bad things have been said about him. <laughs> Poor Barry. Um, I think we we got into a lot. Um, the other, the one thing I wanted to ask was like the Somerset House thing, sort of leads to it. You did the uh, Barbican, um, station to station where yeah, yeah. you were kind of, you were almost an exhibit unto yourself. Yes, yeah. How was that to have to share? what the process as such well it, you know it's a p performance really um you know because i was in there for about a week but it was a really productive week but, mm. but the sort of the, the song i wrote 
ostensibly for that exhibition mm. I'd sort of written <laughs> you know by myself really and when yeah. I was in that I was in a glass fronted studio and really I, you know I was working on some audio that was going to be part of um, a sort of gallery installation mm. at the end of the week um, so and, and I had a we had a sort of rehearsal which you know was visible to other yeah. people um, there was just a lot going on but I think I think ultimately things like that there's, there's an element of you know you know sort of it's not quite reality you know mm. and when I sort of moved into Somerset House they were just um, disassembling the, the white box that PJ Harvey had been in yeah so that again that's that's a bit manufactured isn't it so mm. that when someone you your behavior changes when you know someone's watching you so yeah very much so um but i you know in both both instances i it was really sort of fun and novel for me to be sort of part of a a, a studio really that you know was just full of other artists and life thrumming around me because i not had that really since you know my degree days yeah you know being in a studio and I, do, I realize I do sort of miss that really mm. I miss you know do you feel like like obviously I don't want to say you're not using your degree because I think it's the sort of the degree you are always going to be using it's like the way art makes you think is going to be different to how a chemistry degree is going to make you yeah think. definitely but um do you do you feel like that there are lessons you learned then that are still resonating with what you do now yeah definitely because I, I sort of always I, like I don't really co well I, I never co-write with anyone so mm. I feel like I, I don't know how else to do make music mm -hmm. other than the way I do it and there's a sort of parallel with a painting you don't two people don't two or three or four people don't make the same painting do they no um so I don't, I just, it's, you know, I've just done it this way. And I think, I think some of that has come from my first 18 years or whatever. It was very much, you know, about making like drawings and paintings and sculptures and things mm. like that. And so I always sort of felt like I could see the song and hear it finished, you know, mm. a lot of the time and almost just see it in my head as a sort of finished entity, really. Yeah. And I'm just, I enjoy just doing it all myself, you know, most of the time, you know. But I just don't know how else to do it, and I don't really want to do it a different Any way. Any other way. And this is what yeah. I was going to ask. Is, like, collaboration something you'd want to do, or...? I mean, I, I just... I want to get so much more of my stuff done. So it's, I don't have anything against so no collab time collaboration. To, yeah. It's more of a time issue, mm. really. I yeah, I, it's, I was wondering that, because, you know, collaboration takes... It's not just the time. It's like making room in the way you work to let other people in, you know? And I just, I just genuinely don't... I sometimes quiz, you know, friends about, so how do you, how do you actually write a tune then? Because I actually can't mm. understand how two or three people can be in a room and write a mm. song together, you know? Yeah, like... I find I, that really strange. If we, if we went, like, the poppier end of things, like, Coldplay, Chris Martin writes mm. all the songs, but like, how much is he turning up with? Is he turning exactly, up with yeah. him uh, lyrics and a piano? Mm. Is it? Well, like, I, I get that someone might write the you know the, the bare bones of a song, and a band will 
flesh it out. Mm. But in terms of actually creating in the moment, mm. how do you, which bit goes where and how do you decide yeah. whose bit goes where? And, you know, it's funny that I can't quite get that, which it's, you know, because it's just so funny because that's how I've worked for such a long time. So, because I wrote all the music and he wrote all the words, Yeah, there were occasions where he would ask for something and there would be this... This moment in me of like, mm. you growled. Damn you! <laughs> I think that is excellent. I do remember one of one of our very like our second single or something. The label, it was there was like a hook and then three minutes solid of him just this really long, yeah, quite quick rap and then the hook again. And yeah. the label were like, can we come up the hook? Can we get yeah. a hook in there somewhere? Yeah. Radio yeah. edits and all that. Uh, yeah, yeah. When I, I um, first, yeah, it was, your first experiences of radio ed- edits are brutal, aren't they? But, <clears> um, really brutal. But I'm I'm used to all that now, and mm. I understand that things have a purpose. And you know, and to be fair to us, a lot of our radio edits were just cut the two minutes where I noodle off the end. Yeah, which is fine. But when it was like a structural, right? Yeah. What we want to do is bring this here, and it's like that's not. And I, I do forget that a lot of people are potentially more familiar with the radio edit of my mm. other song than the actual real version, which is really strange. Do your have your songs changed through live? Do you like you your album version and live version being quite different? Or? Oh no, no, they're they're pretty much yeah, oh, okay. they're pretty similar, really. Yeah. So because I got bored, and yeah. like our biggest song, um, this "Thou Shall Always Kill." I, I get bored of yeah. it. So over time, it's like the first minute of that song is how you would recognise it. Yeah. But after the break, like the very last version we were playing was like, I don't know, Acid housey, like yeah. really like 909 drums, so cool. flipped yeah. and little squelchy synths and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, I did, I did sort of think about wanting to... Um, use sort of remix versions mm. and I sort of have the stems and you know all the parts for that and again it's just a time thing it's like you know yeah. I'd love to because I love some of the remixes of some of my singles but um, I don't think that I've you know I sort of joke that Groove It Out was my sort of runaway hit and um, <laughs> you know it sort of was within its own yeah. world but uh, <laughs> I'm not I don't think I've been playing the, those songs long enough for them for me to need to do a to sort do of you know jazz rework of and it, it which really I hope I, I hope I never inflict on anybody <laughs> you know you can, but it's really hard as well to like say the time you, yeah you've got to do something though if because I would never want to play a song by in a sort of dead-eyed I'll just mm. bang bang this out and get it done way because I never play music like that yeah but I appreciate in another 10 years it might not be so easy to so, play we did the same more, songs again. You we know? did more than a thousand shows, and there isn't a show we didn't play that on. Do you think it changes with each context, though? Because I actually got a lot of comfort in the fact that on tour, everything around you changes, mm. and the one thing you can hold on to is the fact that your song stays the same. Yeah, I actually found it like an anchor, you know. So we we like because we had three albums, we kind of had three phases of touring. So the first touring. I was small and behind him. And the second album, I was like, no, I need more, not I need more space, but yeah. I need equal footing. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of 
Check. Did you rig up a massive neon platform? Oh, God. I had this, like, V-shaped stand. <laughs> oh, cool. So my computer would be there and stuff, and then I had drum pads in front of me. Yeah. And then keys there. It's like... Obviously, it wasn't massive, but it felt really it's your big. station. But obviously, the songs changed somewhat to a comp fit that I was doing more live. Yeah. In one way, but the flip of that was that um, I was making the computer do more stuff, so they yeah. were more rigid. And then in the third, I was like, yeah, that was really silly and a lot of effort. It got small yeah. again yeah. and um, convinced pip that we should get a lighting guy so i could be in the dark more mm. uh, but again the songs changed to fit a, i was getting more opportunities to rave as such yeah so yeah. i would use those like but it's for me it was about that, i'm just thinking about that right what was it ravatron <laughs> the ravatron ravatron revolution revolution yeah. the revolution oh, 309 by brilliant. quasi midi brilliant i think craftwork had some quasi midi stuff yeah so, and they also had a synth called a Technox, which... I like that. Yeah, it's good. But, like, yeah, that evolution. But I see how I get distracted, listeners. If I get the opportunity to talk about me... Well, which let's is, not get onto gear, because that's another two hours. Well, we can we can hang up, and then we can talk about gear. Okay. Is there is there another coffee coming? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You, are you done? Is there anything you need to plug? <laughs> Are we done with you? I will. I will appear again with my next record in the world. I know in, I've been gone away well, again, but well, you know, five years, I am coming back. Then five years. Well, so it's not intentional. Sorry about that. It could be, though. It could be intentional. Every it's five not, years. It's not. You know how Adele names all the albums after her age. Yeah. yeah. I can't wait until we get Adele sixty-three. <laughs> It's going to be a great album. She's going to be doing, like, White Cliffs of Dover, everything. It's going to be awesome. Oh, God. We can't end on Adele. Why not? She's a delight. Yeah. No. Good Good on her. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's... Yeah, the, there is an album. It will happen. Good. It's on its way. Is that a message to the listeners or to Warp? <laughs> yes. You, you yes, and yes. Yeah. To everybody. <laughs> I'm going to hang up, guys. Well, did you enjoy that conversation? If so, smash that subscribe button and drop a scintillating five-star review. And don't forget, you can support this podcast directly by hopping over to patreon.com forward slash Dan Enjoy! Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, 
Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Well, I told you it was good, didn't I? I told you it was good. Julie's genuinely a nice human being. There's been a couple of these podcasts where I've like expected people to be nice and then they weren't. Or they were just like dry. You know, whereas Julie was just open and warm and we had nice coffee and we had the the motorway just humming along, calming us in the background. I really like the sound of motorways in the distance. I know a lot of people won't even notice them, but I don't know. I think because I, I just like ambient noise, I can't really get on with anything without some sort of hum or buzz or going on and don't forget to check out stuff um like it's really important for me personally if i'm getting people on the podcast that hopefully one or two of you will go off and discover something you haven't heard before is that is that presumptuous of me am i am i overstating my clout just one of you just one of you click a link download an album on, I dare you. Talking about downloading albums, don't forget to get the EP. You know, it's real good. You know, I'm proud of it. You've been listening to it. It's just on in the background now. I don't know which track, because I'm recording this before I edit the podcast. So, you know, who knows which track I put there. But it's a good one, isn't it? Oh, this beat, if it's one of the ones with a beat. Oh, this is melancholy, if it's one of the melancholy ones. So yeah, I'm definitely not with it. So I'm going to cut this a little short. Um, Hope you're having a delightful time. And uh, we're going to get another one in before Christmas. It's a bit different. Um, A little bit of an end of year review is the plan. But it's probably going to be just talking about NSYNC. But you'll find out once I uh, record it and edit it and stuff. Yes, in sync. There's there's valid reasons. Anyway, go on with your day. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> 